Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community, brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm your other host, nonprofit nerd and healthcare advocate, Amy Board, reminding you to please blah, 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 speak to a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. Sometimes getting the words out are tricky. A bit tricky. On today's show, the National Hemophilia Foundation has a major rebrand coming up, and we spoke with the outgoing CEO and president, Dr. Len Valentino, about that. Hey! The next installment of Shemophilia is back today with a critical soundbite from community member Priscilla Oren. And were you wrongly terminated by Medicaid? I feel like I'm in an infomercial. Hey, listen up. Were you wrongly terminated by Medicaid? <laughs> well, here's what you need to know. But seriously, though, if you That's were, the thing. there are some things you need to know. Yeah. We're going to talk about it in a matter of minutes. There's all of that and more today on Bloodstream. Welcome to Bloodstream. Listeners, as always, you can share this episode of Bloodstream and encourage others to subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast wherever y'all listen to podcasts. And it's my job to remind you that the Bloodstream podcast is indeed made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. For show. For yes. show. That's right. Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds, Amy Board. Mm-hmm. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, though. Do you really need it? Eh, <laughs> bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thank you, Takeda. Amy Board, you and Josh crushed the last yes. episode. So shouts out for that. And I appreciate you pulling me in for the yes. important gene therapy talk. Yes. Uh, a lot of, of stuff here to talk about. Priscilla Oren for the Shemophilia segment. Len's got a lot to say on the NHF rebrand. The BDC is obviously coming up. The gene therapy news of lady comments on and uh, it was announced that he's going to be stepping down as CEO and right. president at the end of this year. So we end. talked a little bit about that. But before we get to all of that, what is this Medicaid thing about? Because that sounds frightening. Well, um, apparently uh, advocates have been anticipating this and it's happening. There's been an unwinding, I guess, um, of Medicaid enrollments. And basically what uh, Medicaid redetermination is, which is what this is all about. Medicaid redetermination is the process that states use to ensure that Medicaid enrollees continue to be eligible for Medicaid coverage. And this year, um, it looks like there has been um, some bumps a little bit in terms of like paperwork and there have been folks that have been wrongly terminated for Medicaid so meaning they are still eligible but they have been bumped from their coverage there is as many as 7 million of the roughly 16 million Medicaid enrollees that are predicted to lose their coverage so wrongfully wrongfully so almost half are it's predicted a, to lose yes, wrongfully. Yes, and it's a paperwork thing, and I don't know more about it. But all to say, we have so many folks in our community that are on Medicaid. If you are on Medicaid and you have been bumped off or or uh, your coverage has been lost or they say you're not eligible, please contact your HTC if you haven't already and your advocates um, at your state chapters to see if you actually are still enrolled and they can kind of help you towards that. Thank you to HFA for bringing this to me and Patrick's um, attention and as always to the Kaiser Family Foundation who does all of the data and the um, 
uh, kind of the numbers collecting. So anyway, that's a thing that's going on. And just kind of make sure if you are a Medicaid recipient that you are correctly enrolled. And if you know another family in the community yes. from, you know, meetings, camps, whatever it may be, and if you know or even suspect that they may be on Medicaid, reach out because, yes. you know, uh, these things are scary. And that's a lot. Seven out of 16 million, that's nearly half. Mm-hmm. So the chances are there's a fair number of families in our community who are impacted by this. And if I had to guess, a lot of them don't realize that they are actually eligible. So Amy's right. Make sure to look into your own health and your own family's situation. But then think about other people in the community you may be able to check in with and just, hey, did you happen to hear anything about this Medicaid thing? Yes. And you know, see if you can help other people restore the health care coverage that they're entitled to. Uh, Amy, appreciate, appreciate you reading that through. That's yeah, really yeah. important. Um, speaking of being heard and, <laughs> and 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 equity, I suppose. Uh, Priscilla Oren, she is who we're going to hear from in the latest in our Shemophilia series, yeah. which is made possible by the Comprehensive Healthcare Education Services, better known to many of us in the bleeding disorders community as Chess, a longtime uh, educator and partner in this community. And they're dedicated to the education and nurturing of individuals with bleeding disorders, as well as their families and medical professionals. In this clip, Priscilla describes just a little of her experience being a woman with hemophilia. Amy and I are going to listen to it, and then you bet we got stuff to talk about. We'll be back in just over a minute. They also would come in and stuff my nose with gauze. And as soon as they removed that gauze, it would gush. And I can remember them telling me I wasn't allowed to cry. Because if I cried, it would remove the clots. And so I can remember the little me standing at the window at the hospital looking out as my mother was leaving and trying very hard not to cry. Eventually, what stopped that bleeding was a woman intern who took a a long object with silver nitrate and carterized the area that was bleeding. But in the meantime... Being malnutrated and very sick, all of my pictures as a child, I looked like a waif with round shoulders and very pale because I was the name it. They didn't know what was wrong with me. Years later, I got my medical reports from that hospital experience. And in the report, they said, there is hemophilia in this family. However, this cannot be because she is a woman. Therefore, it must be a vitamin K deficiency, which, of course, it was not. Thank you, Priscilla, for sharing that. And thanks again to Chess for being a, a partner with us on this segment. Amy, what are your initial reactions to hearing that minute and 15 second share from Priscilla? Well, I think the thing that is most concerning is that by the time, you know, Priscilla was going through some of these symptoms, you know, hemophilia was a very known entity. Mm. It was diagnosed. um, It was, quote unquote, treatable. um, It might not be, you know, adequately treatable, but there was something to treat. And because she's she was a woman, because um, there was such a very clear delineation between having hemophilia and being a carrier of hemophilia, she was written off as these bleeding symptoms that were very clear. I mean, they were they were very, you know, it wasn't even an internal bleed, you know, what she was speaking of in this particular clip. Um, She was written off as, you know, being something else. And I I think it just like perpetuates the conversation that women um, continually have been fighting for their own health care. And, you know, 
talked down to almost in a way in terms of their symptoms. Like, it's not that bad. This is how it's always been. 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 And so I, I think I think Priscilla's story would resonate with many women who have experienced that as young women um, growing up with um, with mild hemophilia. You made a key point in there, too, in my opinion, which is that hemophilia is a known thing. Mm-hmm. There are so many clotting factor protein deficiencies and deficiencies of the coagulation cascade that are not as well known and studied and understood in the medical community as hemophilia. So this is someone struggling to get a proper diagnosis of something that we know to diagnose. Mm -hmm. There's so many other bleeding disorders we don't even know to diagnose. So how much more often are women hearing, this is just normal, oh, you must just be deficient in this, we just bleed this way, when in fact they have factor 10 deficiency or factor 5 deficiency and how much longer it must take. So to your point, Amy, it is part of this theme of women not being believed or dismissed or listened to with enough nuance to appreciate. In this instance, for example, where there's even a family history of hemophilia and a relatively simple blood test Mm -hmm. could confirm factor levels, rather than take that step, there's just a like a reactionary impulse to just say, but she's a woman. She can't, it can't be that. Right. Did you test her? Right. How about we test her? Oh, and then we'll find out. And again, what about in the areas where we don't have diagnostic tests and we don't have treatment and it's not as well studied? So that's, it's terrible. If you're a woman with hemophilia, you have to fight for equity for your hemophilia care. That's a real and ongoing problem. But I think, Amy, you raised a larger point, which I feel in this moment a little just not deflated by, but it's just... I don't know. And I'm not a woman, but it's like I've it's the same story over and over again. And we've said exactly these words before here. And my hope is that with organizations like Chess and individual advocates like Priscilla continuing to add to the volume of people who have stepped forward to say, actually, I've had an experience that you need to hear about. Mm -hmm. My medical experience hasn't been normal. Mm -hmm. I have had some unfortunate. The more we hear those stories, aggregate those stories share them with policymakers, share them with school administrators, get women in clinical trials, you know, and and for things that traditionally have not, for most hemophilia trials, I think all but one or two have never included women. Um, We're taking steps towards changing a paradigm shift. So thank you to Chess and advocates like Priscilla for contributing their stories to help make that paradigm shift a full reality. So listeners, if you want to take action, you can do three practical things to help further the campaign for better treatment for women with bleeding disorders. And that first one is to sign the petition at change.org. Demand equity in healthcare for women. Two, you could head over to chess.education backslash shemophilia slash feedback. Don't worry, we're going to put it in the program notes, but you can head to that little bitty bitty website to submit your recommendations for good doctors doctors and hospitals. Mm. I love that one. And three, mm. sign the MASAC document 264, those recommendations at hemophilia.org. All three of those links are going to be in the program notes. Phenomenal practical things that you can do to further the campaign for better treatment for women with bleeding disorders. Amen to that. Love those action items. And thank you, Chess, for providing those. They're in the program notes, as Amy has said. And now we will transition over to Dr. Len Valentino, the outgoing CEO and president of the National Hemophilia Foundation, which apparently is not going to be the National Hemophilia Foundation for too much longer. We hear about that and more with Len right now. All right, I'm joined now by NHF President and CEO Len Valentino. Len, welcome back to Bloodstream. 
Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the program. So we got a couple of topics. There's the there's the topic that I initially reached out to you about coming on to talk about, and then there's the topic that has become timely since, uh, which is, of course, the approval of Roctavian by the Food and Drug Administration. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But let's start with the, the reason that you're here in the first place, which is that NHF, the National Hemophilia Foundation, is going through a notable rebranding. Can you give us some uh, some... Give us the headline and then a little bit of background. So what is this rebranding and why is it happening? So the rebranding is an effort to be uh, more inclusive and uh, have the organization truly reflect the people that we serve. Um, the, the, the organization for decades has served people living with hemophilia, uh, von Willebrand disease, platelet disorders. So the, the rebranding is really an opportunity to bring uh, inclusion uh, for the organization and allow uh, people to feel as though they have a place in the organization. During our Blue Sky project that uh, kicked off in 2020, we heard from many community members that this was clearly something that they would like to see more inclusion, more opportunities for participation. Uh, and this included people living with hemophilia who really felt as though, you know, they, they had achieved uh, a certain level of access to care and treatment, and they would like to see the similar types of access for people living with von Willebrand disease and these other blood disorders. So we uh, look back at the original charter of NHF from 1948, mm. and surprising to many people, uh, that charter indicated that the organization was founded around blood disorders. And mm. it was an opportunity for the organization really to go back to the roots of what the Henrys were seeking to do was bring people who live with these disorders, their family members, together with healthcare professionals to improve the outcomes for people uh, with all of these blood disorders. Yeah, and as someone with hemophilia, I fall into that category of people who believes that it's important that the foundation is serving not just those with hemophilia and von Willebrand disease, but also the rare blood disorders. And that, you know, I just firmly believe that from an advocacy perspective, if nothing else, the more that we're working together, the better for all of us. Yes, our treatments are different. Yes, some of the specific needs are different. But when it comes to access and when it comes to accommodation, we have much more in common than that which separates us. And the more we work together, the stronger our cohort, the louder our voice, the more our impact. So I firmly believe that as the landscape for hemophilia, which we're going to get into here more specifically in just a couple of minutes, continues to get more and more exciting and, and improves and the treatment burden lessens and there's more to be excited about, uh, I think it's extremely important that the foundation is refocusing on that mandate from the original founding documents to make sure that we're including all blood disorders and, and not just hemophilia. So what does this look like? Is there a new name for the foundation? I know the tagline of For All Bleeding Disorders that was established a couple few years ago was done at least in part with this inclusive um, uh, mindset uh, uh, in play. What are we expecting to see? A new name, some uh, some new language? What's coming? Well, as you know, the, the vision and mission of the organization have evolved. Uh, the vision is a world without heritable blood disorders. And it's important that we recognize two aspects of that vision. One is a focus on cures. And the second is a focus on all blood disorders. So a world without inheritable blood disorders. Um, so really, that, that is where the guiding light for the organization comes from. 
striving for cures, not just for people living with hemophilia, but for those with von Willebrand disease and platelet disorders and the rare bleeding disorders as well. So I, I do think that it's important that we recognize what um, is a possibility for people living with hemophilia A or B should also be possible for those living with these other disorders. We haven't seen that kind of innovation around, for example, fibrinogen deficiency or factor V deficiency that we've seen for hemophilia A and B. We want to ensure that that innovation comes forward, hence the vision. The mission statement also has evolved around blood disorders and really the importance of research catalyzing uh, that innovation. And, you know, we're not going to stop doing advocacy, as you pointed out. We're not going to stop doing education. But we need to do our advocacy and our education in ways that make sense in 2023 and moving into the future. And really, that is focusing on where innovation is going. And we believe that the patient voice, the, the people who live with these disorders, the so-called lived experience experts like you, Patrick, are so important at guiding where innovation goes. And I firmly believe that for far too long, we've allowed um, industry and our corporate partners to guide what we wanted and tell us what we needed and what we wanted. We need to have the people who live with these disorders, people like you, telling our partners and telling, frankly, NHF uh, and what our new name will be, where, what directions we need to be taking. And it's really, you know, we exist for your purpose, to enhance the, the health and well-being of all people living with blood disorders. So your voice is critical in providing that guiding light for us and it should be critical for the guiding light of our industry partners as well. So the National Blood Disorders Foundation then, is that the new name? I can't reveal that, Patrick. You'll have to come to the Bleeding Disorders Conference. Uh, and in the opening session, that will be revealed. Well, I guess uh, me and others who are interested will have to show up to the 75th annual Bleeding Disorders Conference, which will be taking place August 17th through the 19th at the Gaylord National Resort and Convention Center in National Harbor, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. To learn more and to register, go to hemophilia.org and click events or hemophilia.org backslash events. And as you just heard from Len in the opening session, you will find out what that new name is going to be. Uh, okay, so let's move on. We had in the last couple of few weeks here the FDA's approval of Roctavian. This was a big deal. Amy and I did speak about this a little bit on the previous episode released July 14th. So here's the way I want to take this where you will, of course, Len, but here's the way that I want to frame this, or at least where my mind goes. So we've had this approval. We also had an approval of a diagnostic AAV5 test, and we know that's important for screening purposes. It's another treatment option for hemophilia A. It's a new treatment class, gene therapy, or more specifically, in this case, gene transfer. And Roctavian joins Hemgenics in that there are now FDA-approved, commercially available gene therapy treatment options for people with both severe hemophilia A and B, who, of course, meet the necessary criteria in terms of liver health, lack of antibodies, and, and so forth. And all of this activity on the gene therapy front is being paired with things like the recent approval of Altuvio and Fetusarans nearing its way to the market. So other developments, different mechanisms of action, all intended to help stop bleeding. So there are these specific events that are taking place, and that's some of the greater context. But the question that I want to give to you, Len, is that 
what does all of this actually mean for patients, caregivers, and providers in the community? Yeah, so Patrick, this is a great question. I believe somebody who has been part of this community for you know almost four decades now, this is an extremely exciting and um, exhilarating time for the entire hemophilia community. On the other hand, it's a um, sort of disappointing time for people who live with <laughs> rare blood disorders, mm -hmm. where all of this effort and innovation has come to people who have hemophilia A and B, but others are being left behind. So I think for the, the people who uh, live with hemophilia A and B, super exciting, no doubt. Um, the introduction of hemogenics first for hemophilia B and now Roctavian for hemophilia A, along with products like Altuvio, which is an extended half-life uh, factor eight molecule that offers the possibility of, you know, well, you know, protection for at least one week levels of, you know, upwards of 10 to 15% in individuals. Um, I think that, that all of this is very exciting and offers the, the true possibility for individualized care. So a person living with hemophilia A and B now have the opportunity to really work with the, their family, their healthcare providers in a true shared decision-making model to choose what is best for them, understanding what their goals and objectives for treatment are, and then using uh, the shared decision-making model to go through what the options are, what is gonna be best for their individual situation. So I'm super excited about the introduction of both Hemogenics and Roctavian, but I think the, this also um, sheds light on the challenges that you're going to face in trying to choose what's best for you. Gene therapy cannot be stopped, cannot be reversed. This is, you know, uh, at least today, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and a once-in-a-lifetime treatment. And uh, success or failure, um, it's still once-in-a-lifetime. So you may not be able to receive another gene therapy product once you've made that choice and received uh, Roctavian or Hemogenics. So if you don't have a great outcome, you know, you're sort of stuck with that outcome, but we do have excellent products that you can revert back to. So it doesn't preclude you from using uh, Hemrebra if you have hemophilia A or one of the other factor eight replacement products or a rebalancing agent uh, in the future. And the same for hemophilia B uh, without the bispecific monoclonal antibodies story. So it's, it's very exciting. It offers new possibilities and I think new hopes for people to really create that hemophilia-free mindset um, that will allow people to make a choice based on their own individual circumstances um, and be able to live the life that they choose to do um, within you know, whatever they feel is most important for them. So very exciting um, for people living with hemophilia A and B, you know, and I, I again go back to disappointing for people that have all of these other blood disorders, um, you know, including sickle cell disease and thalassemia, where we do have gene therapy products 
but we're not exactly sure about what the outcomes are going to be in those situations. So I'm hopeful that the innovation will continue for all people living with blood disorders. And that's really where the, the NHF and the new name for the organization really wants to put its focus, is achieving access for all, for everybody living with an inherited blood disorder. And again, Len teases that there will be that new name revealed during the Bleeding Disorders Conference. So just one more time, hemophilia.org backslash events or click on the events tab to learn more or register for the conference. Having been to it for the last uh, 15 or so years, I know that the treatment pipeline, gene therapy in particular, has been a topic of interest and a lot of conversation for a long time. So I can only imagine this year what the conversations will be like and what the sessions will be like. Um, and NHF continues to move more and more to, to a more inclusive, holistic bleeding disorders charge, uh, as Len has spoken to very specifically. And I think we'll, we'll feel that with this rebrand in the backdrop, even more so at this year's conference. So a lot, a lot coming out of this year's meeting. Um, there is something, one more thing I want to ask you about, but before we get to that, the Red Tie Soiree is another big event in the calendar year. And I don't think we'll speak to you between the BDC and the Red Tie Soiree. So can you give us, you know, what is the elevator pitch for what is the Red Tie Soiree, soiree and why should people maybe consider putting that on their calendar? as well? Well, the Red Tie Story is uh, NHF's largest and most important fundraising event of the year. This is where we bring uh, people together uh, in a um, really nice venue uh, to highlight uh, the activities of the organization for the past year and really bring special focus uh, to uh, individuals who have made substantial contributions to uh, the organization, not just in terms of financial contributions, but in terms of time and effort as well. It's important that we uh, celebrate our volunteers, and the story is really that opportunity to celebrate uh, the volunteers and all the people who make the organization as special as it can be. So it's uh, being held in Chicago for the first time ever. Mm. It'll be at the Chicago Cultural Center, which is a beautiful venue in downtown Chicago, right off Michigan Avenue. It's the home to the world's largest Tiffany dome. So it has a Tiffany glass dome that's uh, magnificent. Wow. Uh, we're looking forward to a really special evening that uh, on uh, October Friday, October 27th, where we can celebrate uh, our community and really bring a special emphasis to the community. Um, so we do hope that everybody uh, that's listening will consider coming uh, to my hometown in Chicago uh, and participating in the Red Tie Soiree. I think it'll be a great event. We've got uh, entertainment and a, a great uh, musical uh, uh, plan for the evening as well hmm. with a, uh, a, a, a band that's going to be entertaining us along with uh, celebrating our volunteers for that evening. So it's a great event and uh, I would welcome everybody to come. And I will personally greet anybody that uh, chooses to come. 
Wow, some great teases uh, on this. We got teases about opening session at BDC. We got teases about the entertainment at the Red Tie Soiree. Uh, you know, it, I guess if you're ch- if there's a career change, maybe you could move into marketing or being a hype man for for something. You know, you did just mention Chicago, and now I'm talking career change. So that does bring me to the, the last topic. Um, you're from Chicago. You were a clinician there, a hematologist there, a medical director there for a long time before joining the industry side of things, um, and then eventually taking on this role with NHF a few years ago, but it was announced this year that you are stepping down as CEO and president, I believe at the end of the year, while a search is being conducted to find out who will take helm next. Uh, so I'm curious to know, I'm sure there's much that goes into a decision like that, but what were one of the, or two of the top you know, critical inputs for you in the decision-making process? How did you come to make the decision mm-hmm. that, you know what, I think this is the time for me, and what's next for you? Yeah. Well, um, let's take the, the second question first. What's next? So I, I continue to, uh, you know, want to be part of this community. Um, it's been my life for, you know, as I said, uh, four decades. Uh, and I look forward to continuing now on a volunteer basis, uh, continuing to work with the community. Um, I want to do more international work as well with the World Federation of Hemophilia. Uh, and, you know, the, the two things that I was really brought to NHF to, to do um, on behalf of the board of directors was to bring a, a research focus to the organization. And again, going back to that original charter from 1948, research was the cornerstone of the organization. Mm. And, um, you know, bringing research back into focus. And as I said, when we revised the mission, we brought research to the front. It was education, advocacy, and research. Now it's research, education, and advocacy. So bringing research to the forefront. Um, many of you know about the research state of the science, which I think was a huge success, culminated in the publication of uh, 10 manuscripts in a journal expert review in hematology. Hopefully you all received a hard copy of that uh, in your HemaWare uh, package uh, this past uh, couple of weeks. If you haven't, let us know and we'll get it to you. It's also available on open access uh, on on the internet. But I think that articulates where the research focus for the inherited bleeding disorders community needs to go. We're now working on building a blueprint. How are we going to execute on that research? So my goal in um, passing the baton of president and CEO on to the next person is to continue to have input and focus on to building that national research blueprint. But now not as the leader of the organization, but as a volunteer. So I look forward to continuing to do that. The other program that I brought to NHF is um, really innovative, which is our venture philanthropy program. And this is uh, investing for impact. And much like other um, uh, advocacy organizations and patient groups have developed, you know, we've developed our program called Pathway to Cures. And this is a way to bring innovation and generate new research and uh, opportunities for cures, not just for hemophilia, but for people living with all blood disorders um, to the community. So we're hoping to be able to catalyze more and more research and innovation with that focus on cures uh, for people living with inherited blood disorders. So I hope to continue to have a a role in Pathway to Cures to ensure that both our national research blueprint and Pathway to Cures continues to be successful uh, into the next decade and beyond. 
And in terms of making the decision that this was the right time, when did you know that this was the right time? Well, so my original agreement with the board was for three years. Uh, that three years actually ended uh, in uh, February of 2023. Uh, so I stayed beyond my three-year term. And I thought that it was important to um, ensure that at least those two programs, the National Research Blueprint, uh, was on a good footing. Uh, and with the hiring uh, of Dr. Michael Recht as our chief mm -hmm. medical and scientific officer, I'm ultimately confident that uh, Dr. Reck has the National Research Blueprint in good hands. And then with bringing uh, uh, Terry Willey uh, as our managing director of Pathway to Cures, I also feel as though that program is in excellent hands to move forward and to be successful. Uh, and as I said, I don't plan on abandoning either of those programs. I hope to continue to contribute, but now on a volunteer status uh, to each of those programs to ensure their continued success. So well, it was those two, um, you know, uh, moves in the organization and continuing on, you know, the path that we had charted um, gave me assurance that we were on the right path and that, you know, I could step away from a leadership role and now focus more of my effort on research and innovation in those two areas. And it's exciting to hear that while stepping down from your current position, that given your career, your commitment to this community over decades, that at the same time as you're stepping down, you're also not going anywhere. So oh. I, I take comfort in that. Um, so that's good to hear. I hope some listeners agree that there's some comfort to be taken in that. And I'm excited to hear more about the search, the, uh, the next person to take the helm, this inclusive rebranded vision coming to fruition. Uh, with the big announcement during the BDC. So there's a lot to look forward to. Thank you, Len, for the time this morning. I hope you're enjoying your summer. And I look forward to getting to see you in a few weeks at this point in Maryland. Yeah. And of course, you know, if any of the listeners are interested in becoming the next president and CEO of the National Hemophilia Foundation or whatever that new organization is <laughs> uh, you'll hear about, contact the board of directors uh, at NHF. I think it's really important that the community have a strong voice in the search and that the community should uh, nominate the best candidates uh, for the position. So we, the board, I'm sure, would be happy to hear about, uh, you know, well-qualified individuals um, who fit the bill to lead the organization uh, into the future. Yeah, that's a great call to action and a great place to leave it. So listeners, follow Len's instruction. And Len, thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Patrick. Really appreciate the time here today. Always. Thank you, Dr. Len Valentino. Even if you wouldn't tell me what the rebranded name is <laughs> and are making me wait like everybody else until uh, the BDC. Uh, Priscilla Oren, Janet Brewer, Eric Lowe, and everybody over at Chess, thank you for everything that you're doing in the partnership on the Shemophilia segment. Uh, another great episode in the books, Amy Board. We have our next coming up on August the 11th. Uh, what can listeners expect on August 11th it's, out of us? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the episode right before BDC, so it's going to be jam-packed with that stuff. We're going to talk about the science fair, which is one of my favorite things of all time. I'm sure you are brimming and ready to talk about everything <laughs> happening in the world of the science fair, which is a big, big, big world. Holla! So that'll be next time, August 11th. Subscribe if you haven't. Tell others to do so. Share the episode, all the things. Mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com to give us suggestions or inquire about casting and storytelling opportunities. And with that... That is all 
for this episode. A reminder, listeners, that this episode would not be possible without our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. And remember to visit bleedingdisorders.com. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am that other host, Amy Board. (laughs) And until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye! You know that I I told that uh, I don't want to stay on parade, but I want to stay on parade. This is the best. (laughs) 